Great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, This morning, we get to continue the wonderful series we've been doing on characteristics and names of Jesus. And I'm going to be talking about Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, So to start, I wanted to share with you a little bit about what I was like when I was younger. I like to start sermons like this for some reason. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer or an author, so it's a very apt title that I've been given this morning. And when I was younger, I used to write a lot of stories. I get out a pen and a notebook and I'd sit for hours crafting new worlds with my imagination, some of them fantasy, some of them quite similar to my own life. And I remember once writing a story that was my life, but in story form. I imagine it was not very good, but I can't read it now because I have no idea where it is. But the characters were generally the same as my own life, but they were jazzed up a little bit. It got a little bit more exciting. We'd live in a different, more exotic country where it rained less. I'd have a pet tiger as well as my pet dog. Um, I'd have a sister because I'd always wanted a sister, but my older brothers would also be there and my parents would be there too. There would be exciting stories and adventures that I'd go on and it was my life, but it was just slightly more interesting. I don't know if you've ever wished that your life could be slightly more interesting, that you could write your own story and add in an exotic dream home or a pet tiger or any other animal you like. But when I was older, I realized that things didn't really work that way. I couldn't write myself a newer and more interesting story and just will it into existence. But we kind of live in a world that tells us that that's what we can do, don't we? Even if you didn't get a chance to walk around Lumiere Art Festival in November, you'll still be able to see the remnant of it if you walk through Durham, as emblazoned on the side of Clayport Library are the words... Only you can write the next page. I've seen it so many times, and I walk past it near enough every day, but I don't really think twice about it. But I wonder if you agree with that statement. Only you can write the next page. You are the one writing and crafting your story. You're the one in control. That you could add in a pet tiger if you wanted to, that you could move to the other side of the world if you wanted to. You could get rid of the bits that you're a little bit less keen on on what you're like and the world around you. It can be so easy, like the rest of the world, to say, only I can write the next page. I'm the one writing my story. It is about me and I'm putting me first. It's what we're told every day in the music we listen to, the shows that we watch, the people that are around us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? We want the freedom to be totally in control of who we are and the life that we have. I am the author of my life. I'm the author of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But this morning, I want to tell you something a little bit different. And it's something that's written in a book called Hebrews that we're going to look at. To give you a bit of background, Hebrews is a book in the New Testament after Jesus has come. It's a letter, though its writer is unknown, and it's generally believed to have been written to people of Jewish background who have become Christians and are going through a severe time of suffering. Hebrews is about encouraging believers, whatever is going on in their lives, to continue to follow Jesus. And we're going to be jumping in with just two startlingly rich verses in chapter 12. 
but I intend to jump back as well into Hebrews 11. And if you've not read the book of Hebrews, I'd recommend going back and reading it. But first I'm going to pray and then we're going to read the Bible. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself in it, that you have shown us who you are through the pages of scripture. And Lord, this morning, as we look deeper into it, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate who you are, that you would show us more of who you are, that we would love you more deeply, and that we would know you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question that we're asking as we look into Hebrews is, who is writing your story? This is Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews answers the question, who's writing your story, and whether it's us, with a pretty unequivocal no, it's not you. (laughs) We are not the people writing our own story. They would have us believe, this writer, in fact, that our story is being written by somebody else. And actually, we simply get to be a part of a much greater narrative. The climax of these verses sits right in the middle of it. So unorthodox as it may be, we're going to start in the middle and then we're going to go back through, but hopefully it'll make sense as we as we read. We're encouraged, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As the writer talks about this race here, we understand that this means our lives, the lives of faith that we've been asked to live in Jesus. And who sets it before us? We learn immediately that it is Jesus who is called the author and perfecter of our faith. But what exactly do these words mean? I think we've probably heard author and perfecter said a lot of times, but it's actually quite confusing. The Amplified Bible, which is a sometimes helpful translation of scripture, says this, that Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, which means the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. So if we break that down, Jesus is the author. He is the first incentive for our belief in him. Your salvation, if you are a person who would call themselves a Christian this morning, has not been attained by any work that you have done, but by the work that Christ has done. You have been saved because Jesus chose you called you and pursued you, not because you chose Jesus, called him and pursued him. Though it is important that you receive what Jesus has done and choose to follow him, it is the work of Christ that it means that you have salvation. Jesus is the author, not you. And Jesus is the perfecter. He is the one who brings our faith to maturity No amount of good works or good deeds will change your faith. It is a work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot do righteous acts to attain to perfection. In another letter in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul helpfully puts it this way. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. To put it simply, Jesus is the perfecter and he is not finished with you yet. 
He's not crafting the life that you might expect. It's unlikely that it will include the dream home or the car or the holiday or whatever it might be that you want. But it does mean that your your life is in the hands of the one who created the universe and who created you. He is the best person to write your story. And that's why we're told to fix our eyes on him as we run the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter. But what does it actually mean to run this race? We know that Jesus is the author and the perfecter, but what does it mean to run the race that's set before us? And what kind of story is Jesus writing for us? How do we live it out? We can often wonder what this looks like. And I think it looks like doing and acting out exactly what God's asked us to do. It looks like reading his word and praying and spending time with him every day. It looks like loving our neighbor and preaching the gospel to those around us. The Bible is full of things that if you're a Christian, God asks you to do. But I want to suggest that there are four ways in particular that this passage in Hebrews helps us to understand more clearly what running this race will look like. So what does it mean? Firstly, it means to look back to the witnesses. Secondly, to look to shake off any hindrance. Thirdly, to look toward Jesus. And fourthly, to look forward to eternity. And this is where we return to the start of the passage to help us understand. So the writer begins by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... An excellent question just for you people that want to learn to read the Bible more um, is that when you see the word therefore, a good question to ask is, if there's a therefore, what's it there for? Um, And so to understand that, we have to jump back to the verses before, um, which means we're going to look at chapter 11. Um, If you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, I encourage you to go back and read it. In it, we read about characters in the Bible that are commonly referred to as the heroes of the faith, people that did amazing things for God, people who you might have heard of, like Abraham or Sarah or Abel or other ones that don't come to mind immediately. Um, These are the great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 is referring to. And though we're surrounded by witnesses now from the church and the world around us, the reading of the passage suggests that those in Hebrews 11 are the ones that Hebrews 12 is talking about. So we're going to look at the last five verses of Hebrews 11. Um, This is about people that aren't named, that we don't necessarily know who they are, but they're people who ran this race and looked to Jesus as they were doing so. Uh, We read quite small. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Um, It can be so easy when we read through scripture to gloss over what we're reading and forget that this is actually about real people. As I was preparing for this talk, I read this passage aloud to myself and found very quickly that I was just in floods of tears, thinking about what had happened to these people. 
For the sake of the race set before him, the advancement of the kingdom of God, for people like us to hear and receive the gospel now, these people were mocked, flogged, they were in chains, they were imprisoned, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, which is a concept I can't even imagine. They were killed with the sword, they were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Can you imagine the suffering that these people went through for the sake of God? And it seems even more unimaginable when we read how the passage ends, that these people did not receive what was promised this side of eternity. Through all the suffering, they didn't receive that which they'd been waiting for. We stand on the shoulders of giants, countless people throughout scripture and throughout history for whom we can thank that this morning we can hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There have been so many other heroes of the faith throughout history that might have been included in this list. And one of my heroes, or two of my heroes, are a couple called Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, who, if you've never heard of them, I can recommend like 10 books to you about them. They're great. Um, Jim Elliot was a man who sought to seek, sought to seek, sought to share um, Jesus with tribespeople in um, Ecuador to a tribe called the Harani people. And before he even spoke a word to him, he and the other men that went with him were brutally killed before they'd even shared anything about Jesus. And then his wife, Elizabeth, along with the wives of those who had been martyred, decided to continue the work and risk her life to share Jesus with these people. And just a few years ago, she died after having given her life to sharing the gospel. When sharing what it looked like for her to run the race, she sounded markedly similar to these believers in Hebrews 11. She said, To be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. The great symbol of Christianity means sacrifice, and no one who calls himself a Christian can evade this stark fact. To run the race, as this great cloud of witnesses would attest, means to do all that the author and perfecter asks of us, even if it leads to suffering, and ultimately we should expect that it will lead to suffering because that's largely the way of Jesus. But Elizabeth also said this, is the distinction between living for Christ and dying for him so great is not the second, the logical conclusion of the first. I can't imagine having faith like that. And for many of us in this room, living for Jesus and running the race won't look like necessarily dying for it, but perhaps it will. But it does look like suffering because the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The Bible tells us time and time again to prepare for suffering and persecution for the name of Jesus. Are we living in expectation of it? Many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience suffering and imprisonment and death for their faith even today. And running the race set before us will almost certainly look like suffering. Are we ready for it? But Hebrews also tells us that as we run, we should look to shake off any hindrance. We should also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely if we're to run the race that is set before us. Like the heroes that have come in Hebrews 11 and throughout history, we have to shake off any hindrance to run the race. Um, I'm not particularly keen on running, though I know some people in this room might be. Um, But I'm pretty sure that you're not supposed to do it holding on to weights. 
We may see people like this man running the London Marathon with a fridge on their back. But the greatest athletes won't be doing that. They'll be streamlining their bodies, cutting their hair, shaving their legs, making sure that they're in the best position to run well. And when we run the race, we should be prepared to do the same. We should be prepared to shake off anything that might hinder us running wholeheartedly. Sometimes these things will be sin, stuff like pornography or gossip or gluttony or greed, things that stop us clearly from chasing after God. But sometimes it will simply be good things that get in the way. It might be the sports team that you want to join, but it prevents you from joining and gathering with believers on a Sunday morning. Or it might be the beautiful house that you want to have, but that's too far away from any neighbors so that you can share Jesus with them. I encourage you to take some time to think if there might be anything in the way of you following Jesus and cut it out of your life. Be brutal with it. Gouge it out. If there's anything that stands in the way, even slightly, of you chasing after Jesus, get rid of it. We look toward Jesus as well. We look towards him as the author and perfecter. When we shake off any hindrance, we want to be chasing after him. I can guarantee you that choosing Jesus is better. Choosing Christ over comfort is better. Choose the author and the perfecter. And when we look at the next section, look toward Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews tells us to look at Jesus while we're running the race. It wouldn't serve us well if Jesus was trailing along behind us and we kept having to look over our shoulder every five minutes. But fortunately, Jesus has already run the race. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. This was Jesus's story. This was the race for Jesus. Running the race meant choosing the cross and enduring crucifixion. Earlier, I told you that it was good news that Jesus is the author of your life and not you. And it still is good news because the beautiful claim of the Christian story is that God is not distant or aloof. He is not just the author of the story. He doesn't just pen characters and then stay far away. He has written himself into the story. The God of the universe there at the creation of everything, the promise keeper, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the good shepherd, the healer, the deliverer, the great high priest, the bridegroom. And I'm sorry if I've forgotten one. He became a human being. He humbled himself to take on human likeness and be like one of us. I'm acutely aware of the humanness of Jesus right now. I'm 28 weeks pregnant and I can feel the baby kicking me all the time, moving around. And I'm so aware that if they weren't inside me, they wouldn't be able to survive. The God of the universe who spoke the earth into motion became like that. He became so dependent on human beings. He became one of us. And in doing so, he experienced a life that had more suffering than most of us could ever know. He was tempted as we are, but without sin. He was a refugee. He lived in poverty. He experienced grief and pain. And then toward the end of his life, he was arrested, humiliated, deserted by his friends, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns placed on his head, vinegar upon his lips, slowly gasping for breath. Jesus endured the cross. 
And in that moment, he took upon himself sin and all of its consequences. He bore the consequence of our rejection of God and he died for us. If you haven't received Jesus yet, please consider it today. He loves you, wants to know you, and he died for you. He endured the cross for you. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, wrote himself into the story and showed us that it is possible to run the race set before us, but we must fix our eyes on him. He is worth it all, even if it is a life of suffering. And in an account of Jesus's life by his friend Matthew, Jesus says these words, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We can read those words glibly, but what do they mean? They mean following Jesus means death to self. They mean choosing Jesus and choosing the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The heroes of the faith, the witnesses we talked about in Hebrews 11 knew this. They knew that choosing God meant choosing suffering and persecution. But when we allow the author and perfecter to write the story of our life, he pens something far more beautiful than we ever could. Though it leads to suffering, it also leads to him, and he is so worth it. Often I find myself wishing that I could write my own story. But let's not grab back our lives as though they're safer in our hands than they are in his. He is so safe. He is so trustworthy. And he calls us to give ourselves to him. And finally, we look forward to eternity. When we're told that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, we can easily become confused. I don't know about you, but my faith is not perfect. I do not look exactly like Jesus. I struggle to do the disciplines that he asked me to do. I struggle to love people well. I struggle to live every day running the race that he's asked me to. And we can look at the pain and suffering in our lives and the lives of believers around us for the sake of the gospel. And we can think that God is too distant, too uncaring to do anything about it. Or that there's no purpose to our suffering. Like the people in Hebrews 11, we might not receive this side of eternity what's been promised. But stopping here and thinking that God is distant and far away is like reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows up to the end of chapter 34, when it says he saw the mouth move, a flash of green light, and everything was gone. And then throwing away the book and thinking, well, that's the end. I don't know what the author's doing, but it makes no sense. We have to read on and see what happens. Sorry for spoiling Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. I think it's been out for like 15 years now, so you can read it. The writer of the Hebrews is telling us that this perfection is something we will not see this side of eternity. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And then he was he is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus being called the author and perfecter of our faith gives us such wonderful hope because it points us towards a reality we are yet to fully experience. The story doesn't end with the cross, just like Harry Potter didn't end with him dying. Spoiler, sorry. As Christ did not stay dead, but was gloriously resurrected, so we are and so we will be. 
If you're in Christ right now, you have been resurrected with him and you are seated with him in the heavenly places. But at the same time, we are eagerly awaiting a day when we will be with Jesus physically forever. Either when death takes us to be with him in glory or when Jesus returns in his majesty to reign as king and judge over all the earth. Now we know in part but then we will be able to say fully, as the Apostle Paul does when he approached the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. How little hope we would have if we were running a marathon but never knew that there was a finish line. In Jesus, we know that there is a finish line, but that our story will continue on beyond it into eternity when we will be with him forever and there will be no death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And so the writer of Hebrews exhorts us, we have an author and perfecter of our faith and his name is Jesus. We have a race set before us that we must run. And so what must we do? We must look back to those that came before us, look at what they have done and how they have brought us to this place. Look at the lives they lived and how they ran the race. Look to shake off any hindrance, whatever it might be, that stops us from chasing Jesus wholeheartedly. We look toward Jesus and see the suffering servant who died for us on the cross. But we look forward to eternity when we will be with the resurrected Jesus forever. The world tells us that only we can write the next page, that we are the captains of our soul. We are the most important things. But I urge you today to choose Jesus instead. Let the author and the perfecter write your story. It may be the way of suffering, but you get Jesus thrown in. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, once said this. Christ is the A and the Z of the salvation alphabet. He is not only the helper of our salvation, but the God of it, the maker of it, the all in all of it. Have any of you salvation which you've manufactured for yourselves? Then drop it overboard and row away from it as fast as you can, lest it should be a torpedo to work your ruin. The only salvation that can redeem from hell is the salvation that comes from heaven. Eternal salvation must come from an eternal God. Salvation that makes you a new creature must be the work of him who sits on the throne and makes all things new. When we allow Jesus to be the author and perfecter of our story, instead of creating and writing a story for ourselves, he weaves us into the most beautiful story ever told, his story. And we get to be a part of it for all of eternity. I'm going to invite the band back up and then I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. God, thank you that you have written a story that you wrote yourself into, that you were the suffering servant, that you are a suffering God, and that you invite us into suffering with you, but also into communion with you, into knowing you as our personal saviour and friend. Lord, thank you that we get to live life with you, that you invite us to something that is far greater we could imagine for ourselves. Lord, you are such a good God, and we worship you. Amen.